Welcome to Shed the Music Spotlight Podcast. My name is Bob Habersat. I'm a high school music teacher and co-founder of ShedTheMusic.com. Today's guest is the current managing director of Note Flight. He teaches graduate courses at Vanderbilt College of Music and has served as the president of the Technology Institute of Music Educators. He is also a passionate advocate for music education and technology, serving on the NAM State Advocacy Coalition, the NAFME Advocacy Leadership Force, and is advocacy chairman for the Massachusetts Music Educators Association. Um, he's a, a, a good friend and mentor. Please welcome John Malinzak. Anytime, Bob. This is awesome. Always a pleasure. So I wanted to start out by just like sharing a quick story about John. Uh-oh. And it's it's if I when I explain John Malinzak as a person, not just like what he's done, but when I explain who you are, I always kind of lead off with this story. So I was teaching a um, a class at Vanderbilt College of Music. It was a mecca class, so it meets from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. It's a it's a day, and it's it's awesome. You get to you know spend time with really good educators, and you really get to dig down into um, the 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 specific topic. And John was in for the ISTE conference. It's the International Society of Technology Education, and yeah. uh, it was in Chicago. And Vanderbilt's in Chicago, so I asked John if he can come to. Uh, to give like a quick one hour on note flight to my students because we use it a lot because it's awesome. And he said, sure, sure, sure. And so I guess at ISTE, the the conference is cool, but the real magic happens at the hangs after the conference. Right, John? That is pretty much where all the magic at conferences happen. <laughs> at the hang. So he told me that he was at the Google Hang until like three in the morning. And like I'm waking up and having to drive to Vandercook and I'm kind of groggy. I'm on like coffee number two. It's I have my whole day planned out. It's like, okay, I'm going to get through today. It's going to be engaging. Everyone's going to really enjoy what we're going to do. And uh, I get there. I'm a little half, you know, I'm like, uh, eyes are like half open. John comes in, full pressed suit, gives an hour presentation on note flight. Like I've been using note flight for years. And I'm like, I'm an advocate for it. I love it. I was on the edge of my seat because of how engaging it was. It was nuts. And it was like perfectly timed. As soon as the one hour mark hit, it was done. Every, I think there might've been like clapping. There were like 15 people in the room. It was ridiculous to have clapping for 15 people in the room. And that's, that's John Malinzak. He's like on and super prepared and super professional. But like at the same time, he's like a real human being and an awesome person. Um, so that's the story. That's the story I tell everyone because that's kind of how I, I see you. Oh, wow. Well, first of all, thank you for that great story. It's really uh, some kind words. I um, Conferences are like every, it's like 100% adrenaline for like three days. It's great. Like it, I, I love it. Like there's nothing more I love to do than to be out and talk to people, which uh, is what, what we all miss this year, right? That sort of energy. You've been given an elephant. You can't give it away or sell it. What would you do with it? I have an elephant. Why would I want to give it away or sell it? I mean, elephant's such a great creature. I mean, well, the first thing you have to do before making that decision is like really understand what it's like to be an elephant. Like really, really try to go for it. Like, you know, like give it space in the backyard, build, build how to feed it. Like you really just have to dive in and learn all things elephant, you know? And then I don't know later, I don't know what I would do next. I'd, I'd probably try to um, probably try to monetize it in some way to pay for all the food that an <laughs> elephant probably eats. I'd imagine it's a costly expense, but, um, so you'd like set up like a live stream, like, like pet my elephant or something, feed my elephant. Like you could buy peanuts and then they, they'd like, you buy peanuts online. 
right. like a Bitcoin or whatever, and then. Right, but I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna have an elephant, you need to be an expert in elephants, right? Like, I think that's back to like the what you were saying before. Like, I'm like, look, we're we're gonna do it or we're not gonna do it. There's no in between. Like, there is a light switch. There's no dimmer switch here. Like, it is on and off. You know, so I'm not gonna like happen to have an elephant in the backyard and be like, hey, what's going on? Or like have it sit in the living room or all sitting around with people and everyone's like, hey, what's that elephant in the room? <laughs> right? Like. We're going to total as a long setup to get to the elephant in the room joke. We're going to own it. I'm going to come in and be like, hey, meet my elephant. Look at this thing. Like, how cool is it? Does anyone need a bath? Like, there's a puddle of water over there. I'll spray it right over you. It's great, you know? So, yeah, why not? Light switch. That was actually one of my questions. Is like, how do you stay? It seems like every time you're doing anything, it's like you're on. And, I mean, it... it uh it extends to hypothetical elephant situations as well, apparently. I guess you have to. Well, maybe we can start there. You know, one thing that I've been thinking a lot about is uh, it's just burnout and frustration. You feel it. Like, we feel it in life. But, like, we, I mean, we, we live on the teacher Facebook groups and we're all kind of watching. And you can, you know, it, it's a good place to take a temperature of how people are vibing and feeling any moment. And I just I feel like everyone's so stressed right now. And, you know, I, there's a lot of reasons for it. And I think a lot of it's like, you know, we keep thinking that. Oh, we're just going to be online until June. You know what? We'll start the year. Well, we'll go back in person after Labor Day. Well, by Halloween. Well, we'll see what second semester. We got to stop kidding ourselves. Like if we keep thinking it's going to be over in the next month and keep getting disappointed, how many times are we going to do it to ourselves before we realize if we just invested in a long-term plan and took a breath, we'd be better. But for all the reasons that people are stressed, like I have the same things too. What what drives me is you, I always have to remember like, what the ultimate reason you do things for because it's so easy to get hung up in like all the all the things of any job you know like there's fun parts and not fun parts and there's challenges but at the end of the day it's students right like once you see a kid like light eyes light up with magic or like figure out something musical or make something musical or like never be prouder like that's why we do it right and so if you just gotta you gotta keep your eyes on that prize all the time and it, it kind of is a bummer right now because you can't reach. We know that there are students that don't have online access. We know students might not be as engaged when they can't play their instrument in class. Like we get all that. But, but still, there are students' lives to be changed. And we just have to give everything we can at that. And we just can't let all the other crap slow us down. Can I say crap on your podcast? Is that okay? You, you just did. Well, you yeah, can say, crap say it on twice on your podcast. <laughs> we, can, we can talk about crap for the next hour. <laughs> <laughs> I have a funny story. And so the first time I started teaching at Episcopal school, my first teaching gig and the principal called me in the office and I was here in college, I was a grad student in college doing part-time and uh, her fifth grade son was in the fifth grade band and principal sat me down. And I was like, Miss Munzak, I'm like, yeah, so you're doing great. I love your energy. You're so wonderful. Um, you be careful with language. So I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do? He's like, well, you said the C word. I said, what? You said the C word in front of the kids. I said, no, I didn't. You better, I'll, I'll. She's like, yes, you actually said, I think it was um, something that you told them that they shouldn't be except with crappy sounds. I'm like, oh, oh I said crappy. Is that not allowed? Okay, cool. We're on different wavelengths, but sorry. Maybe you'll have to edit that story out. No, with, with Bert, I'm like, I don't know why, but I feel, so we just moved back to remote. Uh, we were blended for like three weeks and I mean I, I have a soundproof video recording studio in my basement so I'm, I'm I'm lucky and I feel so comfortable teaching remotely from this space I feel like me again for the first time in three weeks now that we're back to remote like I was 
Yeah. For some classes, I mean, my intro guitar class, I feel like it's it's almost better teaching remotely because normally in the room, if they're all working on their assignments, it's so loud. You know, and the kids that have attention problems, it's just, you know, it's really hard for them to focus on what they're trying to work on. But if they're at home and if the resources are structured and scaffolded uh, correctly and if there's if there's quality there in the resources, I, I find that, like, some kids are excelling way more than they would be in – I mean, things are going slower, but I feel like we're, get, we're able to get deeper and have a higher level of, of mastery than, than in the classroom, which is weird. So I honestly feel – I know that a lot of people are feeling burned out right now, but I'm feeling energized, which is so weird. And I know that, like, I, I might be the very, very, very small minority in this, but I feel energized about being back to remote and, like, yeah, you're, you're totally right. Let's make a plan to be really good at teaching remotely instead of f- f- planning and flip-flopping and all this other stuff. Well, you just said a lot of great things there, man. I mean, one of the things is that, you know, when I started – I've been teaching online courses for a long time and I have had to move like a class that I taught at LSU. I taught the music ed uh, tech undergrad technology class. And when I moved to Boston, I kept teaching it. So instead of going in there two days a week, I had to like do a Skype two days a week and do online assignments and Moodle modules. And I've been through like, you know, teaching online at Vanderbilt and BU. I've done this for a while and I've made a lot of online mistakes. So for me, it's like, okay, I, you know, online learning is not new, but one of the skills that I just, I say everyone has to have is you have to be able to make videos. And I think what you just kind of said is, you know, if you, if you have some video chops and you can just get, you can get comfortable enough with the the tech hurdle, which for a lot of people is like brand new. How do I even set up a video? How do I plug in a mic? How do I edit it? What's, what is resolution? An MP4, a movie file? Well, my gosh, you know, but if you can just get past, that's just, that's just learning. That's just like crack a book, figure it out. It's not that hard, you know, but if you just get over that hump, then you're like, you are energized. I've seen so many teachers. I teach this class at Vanderkirk right now, Air on a G Suite, Google Tools for Music Educators. And Best name ever. I think I came up with that at 2 a.m. at a conference at some point. But, um, you know, it's funny, like every, I've taught, I just started another cohort today and that's just the fifth one I've done in the past six months. And the first week we always have people that are like, I can't make videos, I can't submit videos. And they're freaking out and they want to drop the course and say, no, 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 let me help you. I'll screencastify, super easy, loom, whatever it is. Every single time, the next week, wow, this is everything. I can just make videos and I can, like, yes, that's exactly, that's exactly what this is about. Like, you know, uh, the biggest commodity we have right now is time with our students and we get them all on the zoom or get them all on the Google meet together. Don't waste that by like having them watch you lecture at them. Like that's not engaging. Like you can give that how to lecture on a video and then the time together with the students is a celebration of what they accomplished. Like, Hey, you share your screen and show what you did. Okay. Now you share your screen. Like use that time to engage students, not talk at students. And it's a, it's funny because it's, it's the same thing we could have been done in the, in the, in-person classroom. I've been on this like whole kick recently that like online and in-person and this idea of going back and forth, these are just locations of people, right? Like we get so hung up on online or in-person, but what really comes down to it is whole class learning and individualized instruction. And now's the time for individualized instruction. Create lessons that where students are setting goals. And like you said, like deeper and more meaningful, like you might not be able to fly through as much repertoire or feel like you're getting as much done, but if the students are taking more time to thoughtfully process in their own way and like engagement, anyone will tell you quality over quantity any day, right? So let's just let focus on the individuals. Let's have kids writing their own 
songs and being able to do little recordings of them and just you know finding out little solo rep or you know figuring out how to play pop songs on their instruments and overcoming how to you know transpose or whatever it is like there's so much that can be done musically right now there's so much that can be done and you know having 60 kids play a grade two band piece all together spreading those droplets and aerosols is just not one of them but that's okay like we've been doing that for 100 years we can do this other thing for six months it's okay trust me yeah, I think it's what's what's getting to a lot of people is it just feels different. And everyone's so used to like, all right, the schedule, the concert schedule and, you know, working through that and having that mindset and then changing it and having a different feeling and having a, and then having to change the way that you validate yourself as an educator. And I think that some people are a little more pliable in that way and some people are a, a little less pliable. And, and for those people, it's it's got to be it's got to be difficult. Um, but I think we're, we're all working towards it. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a step back because I mean, you were, you were talking right now and, and I could totally, you are an educator, but you're also the, uh, the managing director of a music ed tech company. So how did you get from getting yelled at for using the C word uh, at your Episcopal <laughs> school to managing director at Note Flight. And then like, you know, you're still teaching. And I've seen you um, at conferences and you're even at conferences when you're giving a presentation, like you're still teaching. But like, can you describe that path? Yeah, that's a really great question. Sometimes I wonder how a, you know, a trumpet player did end up running a software company. But... <clears throat> um, you know, I taught for, I guess it was six years full-time in uh, K-8 to school, and I've always been marching band nerd, so I'd, you know, leave school at 2.45, run to the high school, do marching band till the lights, till the sun goes down, you know, every day, it was, and then gig on the weekends down in New Orleans. Like, I thought that was it. Like, I made it, you know, I was, had the band director gig, could teach all levels, could gig on the weekends, like, that was it. And after a few years, I was like, you know, I'm really interested in, like, curriculum and standards, so I ended up going to get another degree in... Um, educational leadership and I got certified to be a school principal leading to like an arts admin role so at that time I was sort of doing that and being an arts admin and this is right around the whole race to the top time when like schools are doing student uh, teacher evaluation and growth all those SLTs and SLOs and I actually somehow oh, don't say those don't say those. oh I ended up cr- like the full creative. body cringes <clears throat> oh yeah no yeah. no dude I somehow ended up being the head of the creative arts committee for Louisiana in charge of creating the model assessments for all arts including visual art dance theater and music so that's a funnier story but anyway I'm at this point I'm like you know then so much is happening I'm like wow like technology that the art standards are being revised in 2014 the new national core art standards came out and there was already being so like so much is changing in education I just had these like aha moments I'm like wow and at the same time I had started a music tech program at my school because I had an extra class pulled out some macbooks and you know it was like it was a really cool thing and so I was like the kids were figuring out how to teach music tech and then the state department said you can't teach music tech it's not an approved course at the state there's no music technology at the louisiana level like at all like it doesn't exist as a course option they say can you call it general music i'm like no so i like had you know working at the state department and somehow we ended up getting as an approved course and so then i like every time someone wanted to teach music tech they're like oh john wrote the state level 
curriculum for it. So then called John. So I started doing this little, you know, PD in these different, you know, districts and it was fun. So all this happens and I'm, you know, somehow get connected with PreSonus Audio and I had this like aha moment. I'm like, man, education is changing. I'm like really in this focus of writing new courses, like pushing the boundaries. Like there's so much to do with technology. Kids can create music and all of this came together. I just... I'd watching what like, you know, Soundtree was selling music labs and like other things were going on. I was like, you know what, like there's something here. And so I ended up connecting with the guys at PreSonus and was like, y'all like, I'm telling you, like music creation is, is like the next thing. Like we could be dominated in schools like, you know, Mac and PC software, like kid, schools are trying to put in Pro Tools labs. Let's do this thing. So anyway, like PreSonus took a shot at me and it was like a huge risk for both of us because I come in trying to write curriculum and they're like, how many audio boxes are you going to sell per quarter? And what's the margin? I'm like, what's a margin? You know, like, so, you know, there was a really amazing moment. And that's the moment where I was like, you know what, like the, the music industry actually has a lot of power to direct education. I got connected with like National Association of School Music Dealers and, and the NAM Foundation and all of these organizations. And I was like, wow, there is a whole world out here that's driving music education. Like teachers and, and curriculum is one thing, but we can only use the products and services and curriculum that are being offered for us. So I started, you know, like repackaging and providing education, you know, solutions with curriculum options and hiring authors to write books on like entry level things with like, so it was just, that was just a really cool, That's that was the Kickstarter. And then through that, um, you know, PreSonus, we did a distribution deal with Hal Leonard, who distributes products to all the major dealers, including can really meet, like, reach the school music dealer. Because um, there's this really interesting disconnect that we that we kind of fell into of, like, I'll go to a conference session somewhere and, like, these band directors are like, wow, that's so cool. Yes, I need to record my students and I need to start a little production lab or, or set up a few practice rooms as a little production area for kids. And they'd go to their, you know, average school music dealer, whoever it may be, and they're like, don't carry technology. It's like, do you want a rental or a read or a lesson? That's what we yeah, offer right. here. So how Leonard is like genius at like filling that gap and allowing any of those people to order and distribute technology. So in working with how Leonard, you know, we, um, you know, me and how we, we liked each other. So I had to go to PreSonus and be like, it's not you. It's just, you know, I don't think we're going anywhere together and we'd be better off if, you know, I went with Hal and we're still friends. And so it's all good. So that's sort of how it, how it happened. But, um, I think what's interesting to me is like, I, get so excited about learning new stuff. Like all I want to do is figure out how stuff works. So when it comes to like figuring out like that industry and all those pieces, like that's what drives me, like learning new things and going and going. So, and you pick up stuff along the way. I mean, you know, I don't know a lot about, I mean, I can't code software, but I try really hard to uh, like the elephant. Like I just don't want to have a software company in the backyard. I want to know everything there is. So I'm like reading books and blogs and articles and asking people of like, how does your software team do? Do you do an agile methodology? How do you handle your sprints? How do you do your backlog? How do you organize your design focused? Are you more waterfall? Like you figure it out. Like you have, so it's a, it's a constant learning experience, but I've also learned to be more transparent about the fact that I'm learning and just to be a leader, you don't have to be in front. You don't have to be dragging people along and you don't have to know everything. You just have to facilitate an environment of, where everyone's inspired to be successful and keep learning and make and have processes where we make really good decisions and test things before they go out. And that's sort of what I've figured out. That's kind of how I do my teaching now. Like I've stopped. Yeah, I was going to say that's that very similar to just a good teacher is 
Well, You're that not. was the big aha, right? He's, I think I was trying to learn something new and I had this whole like mental breakdown for a minute that I was a failure as a teacher. I was a failure as a trumpet player. I didn't do the things I went to school for. And then you realize like all I do is teach all day or facilitate learning, right? And that's yeah. kind of like, you know, we should be learning facilitators, not teacher. Teachers too, like, you know, the image where the kid's head's open and like pouring in knowledge, like that whole thing. Like, That's not what it's about. Like that kid needs to be like, thirsty for knowledge like yeah the other part of that image is you can't see it but underneath that cell in the comic is the hole in the bottom of the student where the where the information just like pouring out of because they're just not turned on so it's so you found like a whole you had to have the creativity to find the hole right you, you found the hole of there needs to be this here there you know i need to go to presonus they need uh, an educator to help them because there's this hole there. So there's the creative element, but then you also have the drive to get it through. And that whole piece of, cause that, that's how I am too, with like figuring out problems. Like when we were on hybrid, the, when we were teaching hybrid, the first week was me like figuring out, okay, like I'm going to do one more thing. Okay. I'm going to mic the front of the room and then I'm going to set up a mixer. So kids can talk to each other on zoom to the people at home and the people at home could talk. And then like, maybe I'll turn I have a big screen TV with all the zoom faces. And then I have an output of my HDMI for my switcher on the board. So kids at home can see it. So like there's perfect, I was thinking about it. I was trying to solve all those problems and think creatively. And like, I live on that. And I think we share that. It's like, that's when the light on is when I feel most alive. And that light for me is learning new stuff especially when we're put in a box like this. I think some people are, are seeing this, you know, us being um, teaching differently. Some people see it as you're, you're stuck in a box. But I think like for me and, and for you and for others, it's an opportunity to change things because the paradigm has shifted. But you have to, like think how fast the world changes, man. Like even, you know, we're both, I consider us both young gentlemen though i'm not feeling as young every day but you know like uh just think about how much the world and education has changed in in our time frame like it's constantly changing the internet changes the way we communicate like i just can't accept like i just i never want to be like uh 60 years old doing saying things the same way i did when i was 29 or even what i'm saying i never want to be 60 year olds doing the same thing i was doing when i was 59 like we can't you know and so I just, I have no patience anymore for the, well, I've been teaching 30 years. It's like, have you, or did you teach one year and, and written and copy it 29 years? Because Whoa. there's a difference, you know, and it, it really is what, what gets under my skin right now. Like if you're going to be an educator today, you are learning and trying new all the time because you are teaching kids to be self learners and try new things all the time. And if you're not demonstrating to yourself, you can sell shoes, you can drive Uber, <laughs> you can, you know do something else because that yeah. that's the gig you can't teach lifelong learners if you're not a lifelong learner so like it's frustrating to see people complaining like i can't learn anything new i don't have time like ah. so, so you were talking about agile and sprints and i i'm familiar with them because i have a friend that worked for she's a um, data analyst for groupon and she turned me on to this whole whole thing but like there are a lot of business stuff things that educators don't get like what are some business what are some things that you've learned in the business world that would help educators in the classroom that's a really great question um let me see well the one thing that that constantly comes to mind is you know um we are working 
really hard. And software, online software particularly, software in general, but what web-based software is it is a constantly moving target. I mean, I spent all weekend updating my machine to get the new version of Safari 14, whatever, because there's something wacky with Safari 14 and audio that just every time, I mean, these things, these automatic updates to these browsers, they are making significant changes and we always have to be on the defense, you know? So, you know, and it's, it's one of the, that's, that's one of the challenges we have is this, it's a constantly moving target and we're always trying to prioritize the next thing. I think the hardest thing I have to do every day is decide, you know, we have this team, like, what do we, what do we do next? What do we build next? Like we have, and a lot of it takes design and thought and features. And so you look at like how long certain things take from a dev time and then, then the business value and the impact, how many people it affects, all of these, all of these things. And we have like very, you know, I say it's pretty intricate systems of how we weight the the value of everything that comes out the door. It's usually how many people are affected, how many new, like how many people's lives can we change is kind of the biggest piece of it. Obviously revenue, if it's a key feature that people will use NoteFlight instead of Finale, then there's a, you know, always a push there. But on the flip side, and what I'd love to you know express to educators and people listening is that it's the backlog of stuff is is amazingly long. And like every time I travel, it's like, no flight guy, while I have you, here's a very specific thing I'm trying to do in a very specific order. And I just really need a blue button right here that does that thing. And it's like, I love you. I would love to do that. And then people get mad. Like you don't take, like we have like, I'm not even lying, like a thousand individual features on a backlog. And some of them take one to two days for a developer to go in, code, test, 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 test again. Like all of these things are super, super intricate. Like just, it's it's really hard to kind of get everything done. So it's a constant matter of prioritizing what's next. Yeah, so as a teacher, I mean, it's, we have some benchmarks throughout the the year. You know, you have your concerts, you have report cards, you have midterms, and and those are that's kind of how we organize our life. But it sounds like your concert is every day, so you have to prioritize like what you're practicing and what you're performing every night as being you know the, for for the the company. So I think like the takeaway would be for for teachers is like. Just think about the amount of output and the input that you get from students and you get from everyone and then just multiply it by a giant factor. And that's what like a business has to deal with. And then the amount of efficiency and organization that is involved uh, to to make sure that output is, you know, it might not, you might have to make some some hard decisions, right? You have to prioritize things. So like, how do you guys organize, with, like with your your giant list of of uh, of new features and stuff? How do you guys prioritize, like the organization? Like I have my notes on here. <laughs> Number eleven, something about organization. I mean, earlier before this, you said that you have three monitors up. One monitor is vertical, and it has all of your like tasks on it and some stuff. It, like, like how do you do organization where that can, if we can have like maybe a, pr- a tenth of that in our teaching life, like that might help us. No, that's helpful. I mean, I can tell you what we, you know, and there's in this in the dev world, there's there's a lot of like processes and methodologies, and some have been commercialized. If you look up like agile methodology, like there's there's a difference between being agile and then like what some people have turned into like the you know agile certified. I mean, anyone that has an idea, someone else is going to try to monetize it and make it an official program. So take what all is this what is agile for for non dev people. 
Agile as a philosophy and a methodology of development is just the idea that you can be iterative and you can you can build software and and test and, and be able to iterate on reaction. It's it's a difference in, in saying I'm gonna build this thing exactly this way and put the blinders on and get it. And agile is is what it says, right? It's being able to be a little more flexible. What's difficult, and like you know, people think you know software is so you give something to a developer. Like developers are brilliant folks, but there it's you know, to find a developer that can think design and think business and do the code like that's a that is a unicorn that is like a purple unicorn like it is a hard so you know developers tend to be very good coders but they you know need someone to think design and they need use cases and they need problems to solve you know developers will do anything you tell them to build and you know with great power comes great responsibility because if you tell them to make this blue button they're going to make it but what are the you know how does that affect all these other customers that don't want a blue button it's a constant so you know we have to think and it's really easy you know to to have a dev team be like super sloppy and disorganized it's so easy imagine like everyone just jamming code and different branches and just no one has any idea how this feature affects all this other use cases and so one thing we work hard at and we're a smaller team so it's easier than like a massive like 300 dev but one thing that we do is we have backlogs for topics like our notation features is one category of like a whole massive backlog and then um general site improvements layout um functionality other features that aren't specific to the notation editor is another section and then there's tons of tech debt just upgrading all the systems to respond to whatever the latest you know chrome safari is so there's that and we sort of keep them in, in those buckets. And then we meet literally every Monday for an hour with the product manager or designer. And we we prioritize what we're working on this week, what's coming up. And then we meet with the dev team overall. Um, as we as features get close, I mean, when our backlog is sort of prioritized all the time. So we're always looking at it. Um, our It's fully transparent. So our support team, which is a big piece of it, like customer success, marketing, support, sales, they're constantly getting feature requests. They know when they you know hear about this thing, we talk every day and they're like, hey, people keep bringing up this thing. So that thing ends up working its way higher on the backlog. You know, like customer needs a huge driver, but also Google Analytics. We'll, we'll look at like how many people even press that button, how many people even use that feature. You know, like, you know, sometimes there's the squeaky wheel syndrome and you, you burn a week of dev time on one thing for like one person who's going to blast you on Twitter, but you also at the expense of what, like, you know, a hundred thousand students that, you know, can't do multi-class assignments in Google Classroom, which is coming out today. So, you know, you always have to play that game. So it is a constantly moving target, but um, we try to use a lot of data and we are constantly pivoting, like have a plan and be okay with throwing it out. But we always have a plan. We're always mapping out of a quarter or two quarters ahead of what we're going to do. But we also know what gets bumped in the case of anything else that's needed in 2020 the whole plan just threw out we just we just kind of dropped everything and just started doing everything we can for education features because that's what you have to do right yeah so yeah i know it's like a real but you know it's just um it's like every teacher you have a, a, a rehearsal plan and you're ready to go and you come in and the saxophones sound like garbage you're like well there goes my rehearsal plan saxophones let's work on intonation <laughs> you know yeah and then and then asking like the rest of the group hey what could we have done better like, what were you thinking of when we were just working with the saxophones? Like, it seems like that the whole two-way communication you have between um, the... Okay, so there are a couple acronyms here. So we have dev, which is a developer, 
right? Yeah. So that would be like a coder. Um, do you guys have like a, a UX team, like a user experience? We, everyone tests. We, everyone tests every new release. Okay. So like th- those are our students, right? And then mm-hmm. like you are the developer. You are also the uh, designer. You're, you know, you're every thing as a, as a, as a teacher, but to have that, that clear communication between people who are testing and people who are creating, if, if your students are testing your methodologies, you need to have a clear communication with them. You know, like why not talk about like, Hey, I tried something new yesterday. I tried this thing. You know, I tried this, you know, the thing we do with rhythm, did that work? Like, what would you do to make it better? I think that would be like taking the agile methodology as an educator and being able to flip it and to learn from it. I think that would be something that's, that's really cool. And I have on my notes here, like a lot of us know music ed tech software. We use it, you know, I'm a long-term note flight, sound trap, blah, blah, blah user. We only think about what we see really. You know, mm-hmm. we don't think about what's behind. And there are times when you get frustrated, like, damn it, I, I, I emailed support at noflight.com two times. And I just, I haven't, like, what would what tips would you give educators on, like, if there's a bug or if something's wrong? Like, what is the, what, what's the proper etiquette for, for that kind of thing? No, that's a really good question. I want to... Uh... I want to uh, not to not to be at a political debate. I want to wrap up something that you mentioned from the just briefly. I, was, I think it's really interesting. This idea of like you know students and teachers, just like a teacher and like a software leader and a, and a dev team. It's it's so similar. And I I think one thing is having a common goal in mind. So one of the things that we always focus on. I was going to mention earlier is that we. I don't know if every company does this way, but when like we have a feature that's ready to be estimated, which is like how long is it going to take? Because that's how we track. And we have to track dev hours for all sorts of reasons. But um. It goes to like a how, and so it's like final design, list of exactly what it's supposed to do, user stories, requirements, everything done. We have our whole dev team twice a week look at those new features and the whole team looks at it. It gives input, ask questions, ask questions, because it's really important that when, whenever that thing falls into a developer's lap, which could be a week or two or a month after we estimate it, they have seen, they know exactly what the feature is supposed to do, how it's going to fun. They know what the end goal is, right? Because the worst thing you do is have a developer, like you need to build a blue button that does this. And that's all they know. And they're like, they have no idea how to test it. They have no ownership of it. Like our whole team owns everything we build. And we're very intentional about that. And on testing days, it takes us a day to get a new release out because we have to test everything, like mock purchases, mock. I mean, we it's it literally takes everyone a day to get through it. And it's really important, you know, because again, like our whole team needs to think like our users, we don't want to put anything out. So leading into your question, like what's the best way to let us know, like no software company, right? And it's so easy to, to, to bash on Facebook and I see all software companies get bashed and I get it. But here's the thing, at least at NoFlight, I'm telling you, we are testing and testing and testing over and over. We have contingency plans on top of contingency plans for every kind of error that possible. We are doing everything we can. And you know what? It's still a moving target because what we can't control is the, I would say, almost infinite possibility of devices. What operating system is it up to date? A lot of schools have iPads, but they don't, you know, the IT Eddie holds the master of all keys to update the OS and they're still on like Safari 6 or some horrible thing. 
Like we can't control all of those elements. So we test on multiple screens, multiple devices, mobile on. We have a program that simulates all of these called Browser Stack. And so we can go in and say, Windows 10 machine with Edge this version, and we can test. We do all of that, but we're not going to get... So when you write support and say note flights glitchy, it's like, oh my God, stop. I like you you want to get if you want to get a response, like what you need to do is be able to recreate the problem. Cause sometimes software bugs will happen like on a Tuesday if it's between 57 and 59 degrees, just before the top of the hour. If you press a button, but only gently this'll happen. It's like, oh, it's broken. Refresh the page, try again. Okay. Who only knows what happened? Like what you need to do is be able to recreate the problem. That's what we need. That's what we're going to do. If you send us a problem, the first thing we're going to do is try to recreate it. If we, It's like driving your car to a mechanic and say, I swear it was making a sound a week ago, but it's not making it now. It's like, well, I can't fix it unless I can hear the sound, right? Like, Recreate the problem. Email support. Hi, I have an issue. Don't try to pretend what you think you know it is. Just say, here are the steps to do this. Click this, do this, do this. Here's the devices I'm using. If we can recreate it, we 99.9% chance we can fix it. But if you just give us problems and you expect us, okay, what device are you using? An iPhone. Cool story, bro. What version? This. What iOS? Are you using Safari or Chrome? What version? How are you logging in? Like every step, that's what we need because that's how we have to recreate these things. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I've only been doing, I've only been fielding tech questions for like a year and a half, but like... The the thing that bothers me the most is yeah, if they don't give context or anything, it's like, well, that's kind of impossible to test. But one of the things that bothers me, I don't know if it's because I just take things personally, is like I'll spend so much time fixing a problem and then I'll send it out and then I don't get any response back. <laughs> it's like ever since I did that, and I've heard about this, like if you want to really have an understanding of like how you treat people in the world, like do a customer service at some job once in your life to know what that's like. And now like, I'm sure when I have to log a bug with any other company, I am so nice. I'm like, thank you so much for your time. I always follow up. I was like, this actually helped. It like made my workflow better. You know, like I think those things too, like, so be specific, like John said, and then kind of, kind of follow up. Don't, don't just like let it go. And then when they give the survey, like, Hey, they, you know, uh, no flight at or support at noflight.com wants to survey like how they do like that's in from as data that's a data point that they need to become better right no that's really good that's really helpful you know i'll tell you a couple like we i actually have a pretty uh like strong opinion about support philosophy in general and i think it's one of the key things to uh like grow a company like it's not how much you say your software is worth and get people to buy it it's how much how you treat the people that you already have in your world i think is the real difference and we um we work really hard at, first of all, like just our materials, like sometimes support or problem at companies because the, like you're trying to Google search and you can't find it, you're frustrated, right? So we have our support.noflight.com. Like our rule is like every time we get a, a, a question or a contact us or someone emails support at NoFlight, the answer to that question better be on that support blog, clear and simple for everyone. Mm. Because if someone's asking a question that we're not providing how to do it, then it, it is our fault. So our team knows if they can't send you a link to a support article that already shows step-by-step -step the answer, then write the article before 
emailing the like we shouldn't be giving information that only exists in an email between one customer and one team like so we use it every every time we get a request we're like you know we're sending back articles because we should have that information and sometimes we'll edit the articles like oh they're kind of asking this but they didn't know to search for these words in the articles so we try to add the we're kind of like seo to kind of make sure people can find the answers so that's super important because you should never have to email support for information on how to use a product. It should be easy and transparent. Now, when there's bugs or issues or glitches and stuff, I totally get that. But the other thing we subscribe to, and this is a, a teaching thing too, it's just the psychology of an issue. If a customer is writing support, we've all done it. We've tried to, we have our time where you're trying to compose or use NoteFlight or set up an assignment. Something's not working. We might Google, we try again we are pissed off. Like we are frustrated. We had our focus, we had our time mapped out. And then they had to break from that time, go find the contact us, write this whole thing about what's wrong, and then just sit there and say, well, now I can't do this with my kids. Like we take that so seriously. When someone emails us and there's a problem, it's a real problem. Even if it's the customer's fault where they were hadn't updated their browser or were clicking the wrong section or it's, you know, customer error, it doesn't matter. We're never going to be like, well, you didn't press the blah, blah, blah button. Like, no, like once a customer, so we will always say, we're so sorry. Like we, t- we take ownership of the problem every time, even if it's not our problem, because it is our problem. And you know, the quickest way to piss customers off is try to be defensive and be like, well, if you if you had search support at NoFlight, you would clearly see that you manage members by clicking this button. Like, it's fine. If if someone comes to you and says something's wrong, it's, it's psychological. So we want to fix it and we want to help them. That's what they're looking for. Not an I told you so. So we try to be very, very like comforting and in, in that way. And how many times as a teacher have you like had that defensive, like a kid asks a question and you're like, well, if you just, oh my God. Okay. Well, if you just look at chapter two, at the top of the page where it says like the exact answer, it, you know, like there, there are some times when I catch myself even doing that. Uh, but you're right. It's if, if they're, if the students are having a problem, it's, it's not their problem. It's like, it's either the information wasn't displayed clearly it wasn't delivered clearly it maybe they don't know how to you know there are so many times when somebody asked me a question and, and like my immediate like gut response is just google it just google it like well, exactly. students need to know how to how to search things uh, but i mean that that whole concept of having a searchable searchable database of answers like having all the answers to tech questions being able to be searched on google that's another teacher thing like every time a student asks you something when you are remotely teaching or teaching in person, like it would be great to have an answer for it that is in your language, that is, you know, like groomed to your system and like where where students can see that. And like, that's, that's why I started making my website. It's like, I have, I've been keep get how many, how do you, te- how do you learn base clef? Like I kept, kept getting those questions. So then I started making videos on it. And that's, then when a kid had the question, I'd be like, Hey, go to shutthemusic.com, look at the video. And then eventually they just learn. Like when I have the question, I just look at it. So it's, it's so interesting to hear that being mirrored on the, uh, on, on that side, quick, totally different ramen or pho. Pho. Really? I had pho for yeah. lunch today. It was Fantastic. 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 I like it. Yeah, this is fun to get into. This is something I, this is not a, a line of question I thought we'd uh we had, but we uh you know, as obviously one of the things we've been drowning in is just support right now with online teaching, you know. 
um, there's been a wave of folks. You know, the first wave back in March, April was I, I call the the tech willing and the tech savvy. The people that hadn't taken the plunge, because like online learning, using technology to create music and respond and create individualized learning experience, like all of that existed long before March of 2020. These are not new concepts. We're not making up how to engage students with online musical tools or, or musical web or, or music software and all the things you can do. Like it's been a field. I mean, the Technology Institute of Music Educators was founded in 1995. Like this is this is not new. Online learning and creating music with apps existed in February 2020. Just because it's new to you doesn't mean you have to like suddenly solve a problem that's magically there. Like, so the tech will and tech savvy came. They're like, okay, you know, I never really wanted to do it, but I'll do it. And then later in August, we had a lot of holdouts and we had the, 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 um, not really tech willing, but people that were tech savvy enough in just their general lives to be like, okay, well, I don't really want to use tech in my classroom, but I can, so I have to, we're online. They came through. Well, then, long comes September, October, there was a little batch of folks that were like, no, no, no. After Labor Day, this whole COVID thing, it's gone. The, the, the sun, it's, they say it doesn't spread in the heat. Everyone's going to run to the beaches. No COVID's going to be spread. It, it's going to be gone, right? Yeah, Chicago really knows this right now, right? Yeah, right. So then we get the untech willing and the untech savvy the i touch anything on the computer it breaks i hate the world and this is not ages like you'd be surprised you think like it's like grandmas and grandpas like trying to figure out how to use their cell phone for the first time kind of things it's there is no specific age this is not like the 30 or 40 year veteran teacher that hates technology like it is all ages like there are people that just are not tech savvy and they're and we just said, you know what, like we had a real meeting and we, we restructured our company and said, you know what, like we are, we're a service. We are not a software. We're, we're a SaaS. We are a software as a service model. And so now when you subscribe to NoteFlight, we have a check-in. Once you do your start your account, we look and see if you set up your account and if you are using it actively. And if not, you're going to hear from support and you have a support meeting to make sure you can just get everyone rostered. And then we have, we have certified trainers that will go out and do PD directly for you and your school district to make sure you know how to teach using the technology and we will check in. So we have a whole like service plan that we're moving people through now Um, because we do want all customers and we kind of learn sometimes it's been really great because the the support and needs and feedback and sort of complaints for the untech willing and untech savvy have really caused us to say, wow, you know what? Like we could make this a little clearer. We could make this feature easier. We could make it easier to do whatever this is. So yeah, it's, it's called it's, it's called a universal design. Um, so like, yeah. if you're walking on the sidewalk and you feel the bumps at the end of the sidewalk before the street, that's made for people who can't see, and that's so that their cane can feel those bumps. That's what it was originally designed for. But like my kids, when we go on walks, they know to say screech at the bumps. Like it was designed for someone with a handicap, but it affects everyone positively. So I mean, the same thing software wise uh, sounds like. And I think, yeah, we're all learning that. We're all like everyone, no matter if they're, you know, uh, if they were early adopters or if they're holdouts, you know, I think we're, we're all learning that from, from both directions, you know. So you were mentioning um, like that, collaborative like developing um you know lessons that are more collaborative and uh and creative i think you said something about that and i have in my notes like you mentioned before this circle of uh where is it at like the circle of creativity 
where you're developing lessons. Like, yes, we're talking about technology. We're talking about using technology, but like, what can we do positively as teachers now? Um, this like circle of creativity idea. Can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe we can riff on some ideas that listeners can use or maybe provide some some resources, like creating something that people can use based on this this concept. Yeah, man. Um, good, good segue here because, you know, one of the things is, you know, online does not mean isolated. Individualized instruction does not mean isolated. Personal learning does not mean isolated. You know, at-home learning does not mean isolated learning. And um, one of the things that technology, and particularly this, I cover this in the Google class, is Google makes it super easy. Make assignment. Give every kid a copy of the doc. Kid opens doc. Turn in button. Turn in to teacher. Like, to me, that's passing out paper and then turning it in. But we just can't push paper faster. We have to think different, you know? So you think about why technology exists and what we do on the internet the internet connects us. It's literally designed to connect us. Google Meet designed to connect. Google Docs was, why do we need uh, Google Docs? Why is Microsoft Word not enough? Why is paper not enough? So we can easily share and collaborate. All of these online tools are literally built on the foundation of collaboration. Yet, as we as people who've never thought about online tools or online learning now approach it, we are there being used for 1% of their capacity just to push paper faster. And we can't do that. One of my favorite quotes by Henry Ford is he asked the people what they want. They just said faster horses. Like <laughs> thinking and building, thinking about a future and even building software and teaching, if we only do it through the lens of our own experiences and biases, we never get better. It's just kind of this incestuous plunge to the bottom because all we do is build and think within our own constraints. And we can't do that. That's why things have to be team efforts. We have to get in new ideas. So having said all that, like when you're doing online lessons, like every teacher, like it just, you, we cannot have kids creating music by themselves. It's just not, it's not what the tools are designed for. And I know it's kind of the easy button, but we have to be better than the easy button. So something as simple as, you know, putting students in small groups and giving them different roles, you know, like music and something I've been saying all the time too, is when it comes to assessment, like music is not created for a teacher to grade. It's created to make the world a better place. If all we do as teachers is have kids turn stuff into us so we can grade it, how are we spreading that message? Like, how are we advocating for music? We are like, def- we're absolutely like going against the whole purpose of our being of being music teachers, which is to spread love and joy and change lives through music. So, our assignments need to include sharing and collaborating. If a student composes an eight measure melody, something as simple as that, or one little drum beat, they have to share it with others. They have to give feedback. They have to be able to articulate. If a student is supposed to learn about form by creating a soundtrap, you know, song and, and, and exploring different forms, well, also, can they articulate it? Can they pop on Loom or, or Flipgrid and something and do a video of themselves explaining the form and how it relates to them musically and articulate why? And can another student take that and then reflect on what they learned from another student about form? Like all these things become this sort of cycle. And so as a teacher, what I really highly encourage is you set up assignments where students have different roles and they have to wear all the hats. They have to be the creator. They have to be the responder. They have to be able to present what they know. And right now, when you think about assessment, I don't think assessment is about turning in a final product. I think assessment, especially with individualized learning, assessment should be the ability for the student to articulate what they've learned. 
we learn by doing, we learn through a process, right? And um, I see a lot of things on Facebook about like, my kids are so unengaged in my online lessons. I can't, please send me more slide flashcards. I'm like, well, you just answered your own question. Like nobody wants to sit back and answer questions about music. They want to make music. So like kids should be doing, you learn through doing, and then they should be able to articulate what they've learned. And, and you know, it, and that can happen with words and a video and a, and a podcast or something. I mean, a kid can compose something in note flight, record it, and then go in Soundtrap and make a podcast about this new hit song that just came out and put them in both roles, make them the radio producer, the advertiser, the marketer, the music producer, like, and then just get other kids involved. Like every assignment right now should include kids doing something. And if doing something is watching a video and filling out a multiple choice Google form turned quiz, that's not doing something like actively making music and talking about it with their peers. And um, I've found that if you can structure assignments where you just ask the right questions of a group that, that facilitates them to go off and be engaging, like that's really exciting. Like, again, a matter of like, what did you, what did you learn? What was the difference in what you created and what you did your self-assessment and what these three other students completed of their peer review assessment? Like, what were the differences? So you thought your rhythm was great, but you were surprised that they thought your rhythm wasn't as good. Why is that? Well, why do you think you thought your rhythm was so great? Huh? Well, how can you improve it? Just Ask the right questions. That's going to be my memoir. It's going to be called Ask the Right Questions. So I think, you know, as a teacher, like active teacher in this mess right now, there are a couple things that like I'm sure whoever is teaching right now that heard that would be would be screaming at their AirPods or whatever. It's like, but what about those kids that aren't engaging? You know, because it's, it's really difficult to get. Yes, that is ideal. But. If, if I mean, if you have like a pessimistic view of things, that, that ideal can only exist inside of a vacuum. But there are ways, and I've found ways to, you know, get that sort of engagement from students who would not normally engage. And I think one of the, one of, a really cool thing to do is instead of, instead of having that type of dialogue in an assignment, you get a little more meta and have an assignment that is only about that kind of dialogue. It could be, you know, take the music out of the question, like get the students to engage in engaging, but make that the assignment set up. Like we're so used to, you know, setting assignment parameters, have parameters for what does it look like to be a collaborative person and how to work in a team? Why is it important? Let's look at these people. Let's listen to this podcast about John Linzak and how, you know, how he is a collaborator with his team and how his team works. And then maybe we could talk about how our team is going to work. And then when you get to actually doing the assignment, the musical assignment, they've worked on that skill already because it is a skill. And especially right now, it's so easy just to like turn off your screen on Zoom and to, or have it like face your ceiling and zone out. But I think like, Having a pre-assignment, a precursor, maybe I'll, maybe I'll write this up, like having an assignment about the collaborative process. And then when you get to talk about why was your rhythm bad, like then you know like how to engage to be positive and not like put people down. We, we live in such a, a weird put-down uh, economy right now socially. Like how can you break that and, and stuff like that? Well, I think it's, you know, it's funny because another – just did a bunch of sessions yesterday, pre-recorded a bit. I talk about assessment a lot and I talk about, you know, 
um, you know, what you assess directly affects what's learned. It's this idea of like, is this going to the test? So like, do you have to slap a number on everything? Like, what if your assessment, like you said, like engage engagement on engaging, like just let's have them engage on engaging. You know, what if the only assessment was, again, a student's reflection of the process of of learning or, or some, you know, that particular piece. And we don't get into the fact that they had to, and it could have been a long assignment. There could have been all these steps. They had to record this thing and do it, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, we don't have to, if we don't assess the actual product in the typical playing test, you know, like what you did wrong, like I'm going to give you a grade based on what you didn't get right. Um, but if we maybe just only assess what the student learning is and their ability to articulate their own learning, suddenly that becomes very, and it takes the pressure off getting it right. That's another thing we forget. Like there's a fear of messing up as music players. We're always afraid of playing a wrong note. We're afraid of the bad. We live in fear of mistakes. That's what music performances teaches us, right? It's hard for us to praise success. It is, I only messed up three times on the recital. Okay, we only missed a couple of notes. Like we're just obsessed with the fear of messing up and it's hard to be like confident. And I think that's why sometimes music teachers get obsessed in the negative because that's kind of what we learn as musicians and we've got to break that, right? So I think uh, it, there's a lot of opportunity to just restructure assignments, but it, it really happens, it really comes down to like how you grade it. And that's really yeah. important. As far as engaging, the thing that I this the hardest thing we always learn is we're not cool. Like kids don't want to do stuff because we tell them to do it. Like this idea of a kid's going to do something because the teacher's going to hold a grade over their head and their parents going to whoop their butt if they don't get an A or whatever it is. Like, like is that that's not why we teach. Like we grades have never been the engagement factor, right? Like just because I said so, because you're going to learn today because I'm going to give you you know like. We need kids to be inspired to want to learn things and share with each other in their own world. And if you could somehow inspire kids outside of our world to go on TikTok and make recordings and then play in their instrument and communicate with each other on some app that you don't even want to know about. But if they're talking about music and, and having you know rich dialogue in the way they communicate and they could come back and reflect on what they've learned to you, like... You have to engage them at their level. We can't engage them at our level because our level is not their level. And you just have to facilitate learning at their level and make it you know, successful for them to bring out. So I've found that the unengaged kid gets more engaged when their peers asking them questions than when, when we do. But the other thing is, you know what's engaging? Like success. Success is engaging. People... Kids, they want to be successful. So yes, that hold up, the one that's just never going to turn anything and we feel like they're always going to be such a downer. And I get that. But I've I've dealt with those kids before by just keep praising the like success of everyone else, but not the they're such a good player because you're never going to be as good as first year player. But if you praise the success of something that every kid can have, just praise their engagement, praise their ability to articulate what they learned, regardless of how good or bad they are at their instrument. You know, like... That's addictive. And when those holdouts see that, they will come, but they will only come forward if it's a safe place for them to fail, but also be proud of what they learn at whatever level they are. I know it's kind of a high level statement, but it's true. We set these weird boundaries as, ed- as music educators. So like if, so like to, to wrap up, you know, if, if you're a holdout, like a, a, a tech holdout, and we're talking about transparency and we're talking about organization between you and your students, like the whole concept of failing forward, like 
it's okay if you're trying something new tech-wise right now to mess up and to tell the kids about it because that's giving the transparency of your process and that's showing them that it's okay to fail forwards and to have the dialogue about it. So, like, try something new and be transparent with the kids. You're not, as John was talking about, you're not, you're not like this omnipotent, you know, you don't know everything. You're not the, the leader who knows everything. Be, be the kind of leader that people are inspired by. And I hope you've been inspired by our chat with John because I sure am. Um, so thank you so much, John. Yeah, man, I just want to just wrap up. I think what you said there is really, really great about failing forward. And um, just, the other, I just want to mention the tech is not the holdup. Like it is, we got to stop obsessing about little technical challenge or login issues or glitches, like whatever the, the you feel the holdup is. I'm telling you, I'm from doing music tech for years and writing curriculum at all different levels of different types of technology for labs and Chromebooks and everything in between. It's never the tech, it's our lessons. It's our and it's our lessons are based on goals, right? The kids will figure it out. If we set a goal to collaborate with three people and one person has to be a producer and one person has to be the creator and one person has to be the marketer and you've got to put something out there and share it with your mama, like if that's the goal, they will get there, right? But I think that one of the biggest challenge we have is our own experiences and our own lenses. And we have to realize that we we can just set goals for students and let them move forward. And I know that right now feels like a mess. But I will tell you, like if someone who's like been screaming about all the opportunities of music tech, YouTube, Bob, like we've been like advocating for music tech for years and years and years and years. March 2020 comes along and all of a sudden everyone comes in and there's, you know, acting like it's brand new, but we're all figuring it out. But the opportunities for learning that you said you're energized by, they are everlasting. Like this is this is fantastic. And my biggest fear, my absolute biggest fear is that we teach music in August of 2021 like it was February of 2020. We can't do that. We cannot approach education in August of 2021 like we did in February of 2020. We have to go forward. We have to fail forward. Technology has to live on. Like we can't just stop having kids create music and collaborate online because we can be in class again. Like there are awesome experiences that only exist in these worlds. And now that we have a chance to fully invest in them, we go into August of 2021 with a true hybrid model, reaching the individual in class and at home in many ways. And we have to, as a music ed community, make that commitment to ourselves. This is not just, I'll do something online until it's all over. It can't be over. There's too much amazing stuff in the world to let it be over. So I'll make that my final plea. Yeah, man. All right. Thank you, John. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Some some really, really good stuff. I will, uh, I'll put together that intro, like meta um, lesson, and I'll do a little video on it, and I'll put that in, in the show notes. Thank you so much for uh, coming out.